All right, everyone, let's take out our Bibles together. And I'll ask you if you will go with me to Mark chapter 9 today. Once again, Mark chapter 9. Today we'll be in verses 14 and following. Mark 9, 14 through 29. Now, sometimes as you read through the Gospels and the life of Jesus, sometimes you see Jesus getting frustrated with those around him. It actually happens. He, he sometimes is frustrated with people. He's human. Sometimes you'll even get this, this sense of Jesus essentially being like, I, I can't believe you people. I can't believe what you're doing. I can't believe your lack of belief, your lack of faith. There were times where, where he was frustrated with how slow people were to understand, especially his disciples, how thick-headed or stubborn they could be. And then at other times... It's the exact opposite. At other times, he would be radically encouraging, compassionate, understanding, kind, gentle, just pouring out hope to those who thought they were too unworthy or too sinful. God was the the same with the Israelites in the Old Testament, if you remember. He was the same at times, very frustrated with their stubbornness. And their lack of understanding, their lack of faith, at other times, extraordinarily gracious and compassionate. This makes sense because the Israelites in the Old Testament are a picture of us. The Israelites in the Old Testament are a picture of us as new covenant believers. And Jesus is the picture of God. Colossians 1 tells us he is the exact image of the invisible God. On today's text, you're going to see both from Jesus. You're going to see his his frustration, and then only a few verses later, his amazing compassion, his pouring out of hope onto people. But what what I really want you to see is that the main emphasis this morning is on the hope. The main emphasis in our passage is on the hope. For some of you, this text is going to be one of those moments When you you come before God and you think you're completely failing at this Christianity thing. Come before God and you think, I am just blowing it over and over and over again. And you think God is nothing but disappointed in you. And instead, surprisingly this morning, you may hear him saying to you, your heart is exactly what I'm looking for. Let's, Let's see what happens. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Follow along with me, if you will, as we typically do. Some of you might not know this, but as as we typically do, our main text is not going to be up on the screens behind me, and then anything else that I refer to will be. We do that for a reason, because I think it's going to be most helpful for you to grab your own copy of Scripture or to grab a Bible from the pew and look at it with us. We'll be referring back to the text time and time again. We're in Mark 9, starting in verse 14. This is God's word. Mark writes, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, 
O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Last week, we talked about the mountaintop experience of verses 2 through 13 in chapter 9, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and gave them a glimpse of his glory, a mountaintop experience for them. And we said, you've always got to come down from your mountaintop experiences, right? You can't live up there. We've always got to come down from our mountaintop experiences. Well, no sooner have Peter, James, and John come down and Jesus as well, then they find a scene that is the polar opposite of what they have just experienced. They find disciples and scribes arguing with one another. They find the obvious work of Satan and his demons. They find a little boy who has been oppressed by a demon since childhood, and they find his desperate father. Now, we, we thank God for those mountaintop experiences. We do and we should. We thank God for the mountaintop experiences he gives us with him and of himself. But the world down here is full of pain and suffering and evil. And that's where we live. That's where we've been called to live. In the world, the normal everyday world full of pain and suffering and evil. We've been called to live faithfully in the midst of all of this. We've been called to extend the love of Christ to others who are experiencing the hurt of this world. Now, I want you to see in our text how it really centers on the back and forth that Jesus and the Father have in verses 23 and 24. That's really the center of the text, if you can get that sense. When, when Jesus says back to the Father, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes, and then the Father cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. And what I want you to see from that this morning is that we all have both belief and unbelief residing with inside of us. All of us have both belief and unbelief. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. In the same breath, the same prayer, if you will. It's really a prayer. He's, he's praying, he's asking to Jesus for Jesus to do this. And it's a prayer, brothers and sisters, that should come from each and every one of us, because that's us. Everyone in here today who is a believer has belief, yes, 
right? We, we believe in God. We believe in Christ, amen? We, we believe, yes we do. But there's not a one of us who doesn't also have some unbelief mixed in with that belief. We are, we are thankful for the example of the apostles in Scripture for numerous reasons, but for this reason in particular this week, at one moment we will see the apostles placing great faith in Jesus and, and obediently following him. And at the next moment, we see their shallow faith, their misunderstanding, their failure to trust him. They, they clearly had belief. Think about the apostles who walked with Jesus for those three years. They clearly had belief, but they had unbelief still plaguing them even as they believed. They had trust, but also doubt. Hope, but also fear. Is anybody tracking with this this morning? Are you feeling this in your own life? This is us. And to those of you here this morning who might not be a Christian yet, if you think that all of us Christians have perfect faith, it is not like that. That is not who we are. If you think that we are always strong in our faith and always bold in our trust and we never doubt, it is not like that. We believe, yes, but we also struggle. We, we trust Jesus with our eternity, amen? We trust Jesus with our eternity, and a lot of us have trouble trusting him with our Mondays, right? We really do. We, we struggle like this. There are times where we struggle to trust the Lord with our finances. There are times when we struggle to trust him with our health, or with our children, with our work, with our church. Sometimes we do a better job than other times, but we're not perfect in this. We all have belief mixed in with unbelief. So many of our struggles, brothers and sisters, are from our lack of belief. So many of our struggles in life are from our lack of belief. The unbelief still residing within us. If you think about it, every time we fall into sin, it's because we don't believe as strongly as we should. Every time. Just think it over. What is sin but a manifestation of a moment when we do not believe as we should? It's all the way back to Adam and Eve who did not believe and trust God as they should. Trust his good plan. Trust his goodness. And then keep away from what he prohibited. Every sin is a result of some kind of unbelief if only for a moment. Every fear, every anxiety that we have stems from unbelief. Unbelief. And we've all got it. Our failure to pursue God. Let's think about this just in, in the, the way that we pursue the Lord. If you are human, I bet you have experienced, probably even lately, the guilt of not having pursued the Lord like you should. Not having pursued God like you know you should. Our failure to pursue God with all our hearts and obey his word is really because we don't believe. We don't believe. If we truly believed with all our hearts that God is who he says he is, we would want him with everything we have. The only reason we don't want him with everything we have is because we don't believe he is who he says he is with all our hearts. Now you might be saying, but I, I, I do believe that. I know you do in your head. 
but we don't believe it with all our hearts. If we do, we would pursue him with everything we've got. Jesus had true, wholehearted belief in the Father every moment of every day. And he went after God with everything he had. He loved others selflessly. He never sinned. Now, those things, when we hear them, seem impossible, right? He's Jesus. It seems impossible. But brothers and sisters, what does Jesus say in verse 23? What does he say? All things are possible for the one who believes. And so... In the same scene, Jesus is coming and saying in verse 19, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? It's, it's a genuine frustration and the lack of belief, including not just the crowd, but his disciples. Faithless generation, they cannot drive out the demon. Why can they not drive it out? Well, we get a hint of that at the end of the text. It says, when he went back into the house, verse 28, The disciples ask him privately, why could we not cast out this demon? Now notice why they're asking that. Because they have cast out demons before. Jesus sent them out. Mark chapter 6. He sent them out to cast out demons. He gave them the authority to do it. The only reason they could do it was because they had Jesus' power that he had given them. But then they started to do it. And they they were no doubt surprised that this happened. But then it seems as though they had become confident And become self-reliant. Because what does Jesus say in verse 29? This kind can only be driven out by prayer. Prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is a, a dependence on the Lord. That's what prayer is. Prayer is depending on God. Anytime in our lives when we're not praying, you know what that means? We think we've got this. We think we can do it. We think we can take care of it. And when we reach the end of our rope, and when we reach a situation in our life that we don't think we can handle, then we pray. Prayer is dependence on God. Lack of prayer is lack of dependence on God. It's it's self-reliance. So I believe the reason the disciples could not cast this out had to do with two things. Number one, the kind of demon that it was, verse 29, this kind, Jesus says, can only be driven out by prayer. What does he mean by that? He doesn't explain. We can't know exactly. It must be some difference between other kinds of demons, some more difficult kind. But what we can know is that the key was prayer, dependence on the Lord. You see, the disciples never drove out a demon on their own authority. They never drove out a demon by their own strength. It was always by the authority and the strength of the Lord, by the name of Jesus. And so Jesus, in one Breath says, O faithless generation, verse 19. Some of your translations might even say unbelieving generation. But then to the Father in verse 23, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible for the one who believes. Brothers and sisters, in your own lives, all things are possible if you believe. All things are possible. It is possible. To have real and abiding peace. You may feel like that is impossible in your life. It is possible. All things are possible to the one who believes. It is possible to escape the the hold that sin has on you. It might feel impossible, but all things are possible for the one who believes. It is possible to be rid of your shame and your guilt. That might feel impossible. 
But it is possible for the one who believes. It is possible to pursue the Lord with all your heart. That might feel impossible. It might feel like you've tried and tried and tried. And I just cannot get to that point to where I am pursuing God with everything I've got. It is possible to the one who believes. It is possible to lead your family to the Lord. Even if you haven't been. Even if you feel like there's no way God can break through all the habits that we have developed. No, it is possible. All things are possible for the one who believes. Now, does this mean that you just need to work yourself up and grit your teeth and try harder to believe? No, that's not the way this works. But it does mean you have to cultivate your belief. You do have to do something. You have to cultivate your belief. You can't just go home today and say, now I believe, so all those things that were impossible are going to happen. That's not the way belief works. You have to cultivate your belief. What happens as you spend time with the Lord consistently in prayer, in personal Bible reading, in coming regularly to gatherings like this and worshiping the Lord and learning about his will and his ways and his word, what happens over time is you don't just increase in in what you do. You don't just increase in obedience. You increase in faith. You increase in belief. Your belief grows. That's what happens the longer you spend time with the Lord, is he works on your heart. You place yourself before his throne, and you say to him, this is not you doing it yourself. You say to him, help my unbelief. And as you place yourself before his throne and open your heart to him, he does. He helps you with your unbelief. He cultivates, he grows your faith. And so it's a very biblical thing to ask God with the disciples in the book of Luke to say, increase our faith. It's very much like what this this man is praying to Jesus, what he's saying to Jesus. You cultivate your belief, but you have to be crying out to God to do it because it's not us who do it. We, it's not me. It's God working in me. It's just me putting myself in a place where he can do work on my heart. Does that make sense? And so we've got to cultivate our belief. But brothers and sisters, hear me on this. There is no such thing as a Christian with perfect faith. We all have both belief and unbelief. And what that means is this. You don't have to have perfect faith to come to Jesus. You don't have to have perfect faith to come to Jesus. It is not about the strength of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. The late, great Tim Keller has a classic sermon illustration that I'm just going to unashamedly steal right now. He's preaching on the Red Sea crossing. Okay, so put your mind back to that, that time after the Exodus. The Israelites are at the Red Sea. Moses with his staff and the Lord with his power through Moses parts the Red Sea. And the Israelites walk through on dry ground, it says, with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. If you ever want to get the sense of how this felt, believe it or not, I think the the animated movie, The Prince of Egypt, does a really good job. You you get the the, the sense of the awe and and the uh, amazing thing that is going on around the people as they walk through the sea with a wall of water here and a wall of water here. But you know as they were walking through that, some of them walked through like this. Yeah, this is awesome. The Lord's on our side. 
Eat your heart out, Egyptians, right? The Lord fights for us. Look at this. And then there were others in the same place walking through saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Right? Both of them. But in completely different qualities of faith, they were all equally saved. They were all of them equally saved. Why? Because receiving God's help is not about the quality of your faith, but about the object of your faith. And that's what we see in this man. That's what we see in this man, this father, as we turn to what he says to Jesus. Because I want you to see with his weak faith that Jesus can work with this. Jesus can work with weak faith. Not just in him, but in you. Jesus can work with this. This is one of the most beautiful statements of faith in all the Bible. Put yourself in this man's shoes for a second. He comes to Jesus. He says, this this demon has been oppressing my child. It throws him down. It convulses him. Seems like he has seizures. He's foaming at the mouth. He also says it it makes him mute. It makes his, his boy mute. And then later in verse 25, Jesus calls the spirit a mute and deaf spirit. To where this boy would not have just been mute, but also deaf. So think about all the problems that this boy has had. From childhood, the father says. From childhood. All the problems that he has had. And add to all of that the fact that he can't speak and he can't hear. He cannot be reassured by his father. He cannot tell his father what he feels and what he wants and what he needs. So think about the havoc that this has been wreaking on this family. And and the father says, after Jesus says, how long has this been happening? The father says, from childhood. It's been happening ever since he was little. And the father is so desperate, he says, if you can do anything, just have compassion on us and help us. This is ruling our lives. This demon throws my boy into into fire and into water to destroy him. Our, Our lives are a mess. And this is so hard. Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible. And then the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. This is one of the most beautiful statements of faith in all the Bible. It's one of the most beautiful statements of faith in all the Bible. And I'm here to tell you, it's not just beautiful to us. It's beautiful to God. This statement of faith is beautiful to God. Let me let you in on a little secret. The longer you walk with God... The more you learn who he is, the more you learn his heart, the more you learn his tendencies to where you can get to a point to where you can say, this is beautiful to God. I know God. I know this is beautiful to God. Why is it beautiful to God? Well, because it's honest and it's sincere. God loves it when we pour our hearts out to him and when we hold nothing back. You don't get any points with God for trying to sound or appear holier than you are. You don't get anywhere with God like that. Why? Because he knows everything about you already. He can see the corners of your heart, the darkest corners, the deepest secrets. What are you going to do? Try to act like you're more holy than you are to God? You don't get anywhere with God like that because he knows everything about you. He can see right through each one of us. There's no point trying to fool God. And so, if that's the case, if that's the case, let's be dangerously honest with God. You ever tried that? 
Let's just be dangerously honest with God. Let's bring him our doubts. Let's bring him our unbelief. Let's bring it to him and just completely admit it. He already sees it anyway. Let's be dangerously honest with God. Did you, did you notice what happened in verse 24 after Jesus said, all things are possible for the one who believes? Can you feel what the Father's feeling here? It says, immediately he cried out to Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You know what he's saying? You know what he's doing there? He's saying, Jesus, I do believe. I really do believe in my heart of hearts. Because Jesus you know, just went back at him and said, if, if I can do this, right? He's saying, I do believe in my heart of hearts, I do. But he's also saying, but, oh, Jesus, you're right. You're right. I don't believe as I should. I have unbelief in here, but I don't want to have it. I don't want to have it. I've got it, and I don't want to. Help me. Cleanse me of this unbelief. This is beautiful to God. Understand that when you come to God with this kind of honesty, this kind of raw honesty, even that is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. When you come to God like this, have you ever thought about that? This dad, he's actually expressing faith in Jesus, not just when he says, I believe, but when he says, help my unbelief, that is an expression of faith in and of itself. Help my unbelief. He has faith that Jesus can help. It's a prayer. He's saying, I have unbelief, but I don't want to. You can deliver me from this. You can increase my faith. He honors Jesus by acknowledging his unbelief and asking for help. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' love and Jesus' compassion and his help are not hard to come by. They are on a hair trigger. A hair trigger. You know how on some guns it's harder to pull the trigger than others? Probably for safety reasons, right? It's good that it's hard to pull a trigger on a gun, but... This is not the same with Jesus. With Jesus' love and compassion, it's the exact opposite. That The slightest twitch moves him into action. The smallest expression of faith causes him to jump to help us. I want to read to you one of my favorite verses about Jesus from Matthew 12, verse 20. This is Matthew quoting Isaiah saying that, that Isaiah's words were about, ultimately about Jesus. And in Matthew twelve twenty, Matthew says this about Jesus. He says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. What's that mean? Well, if, if a reed, back then reeds were used for all kinds of practical purposes. If a reed was, was snapped over, bruised, broken, whatever, reeds were cheap. You just take one out, throw it away, and get a, get a good one, get a better one. That's not what Jesus does with us. When we are bruised, when we are not as useful as we could be to him and his kingdom, he does not just take us and throw us out and get somebody who's better, get somebody who's easier, get somebody who, who can do more for him. No, he gently works with what, what we have. He does not break off the bruised reed. He does not take a wick that's just smoldering and snuff it out and cut it off and say, we're just going to go get another one. Those things are cheap. We, we can replace it. No, he, he cultivates it. He works with it gently. He works with what we have. It doesn't take amazing and bold and strong faith for Jesus to help us. It only takes a small amount. A mustard seed sized faith. All things are possible for the one who believes. When, when 5,000 people 
were out in the middle of a wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere, listening to Jesus, and they were hungry. Jesus asked, what, what, what food do we have? And all they could find was five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, that's enough. That's enough. I can work with that. It's the same with your faith, brothers and sisters. A mustard seed-sized faith is all that it takes. Bring it to God. Bring it to Jesus. You may have doubts. You surely have sin. But is is there just a tiny part of you that believes that he can change your life? Is there just a tiny part of you that believes that he could do that? You may think that there's no way you could change. You may think that you are too stuck in your ways. You may think that your heart is too hard. That you have no idea how God could get through all the stuff you've done and thought. But is there a tiny part of you saying, but if he could change me, I would want him to. If he could do it, I, I would want that. If he could make me happy, I would want him to. If he could make me into the person I always wished I could be, I would want him to. Friends, that is enough. That is enough. This man is saying, I want to believe. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want to believe. Can you say that to the Lord this morning? That... God, maybe I'm not there, but I want to be there. I'm not there with my belief, but I want to be there. God, I want to have faith like that, but I don't. Help me. I want to. God, I've never been consistent about pursuing you in prayer and Bible reading, but I want to. Help me. God, I I don't love people like I should, but I want to. Help me. God, I'm, I'm failing at leading my family to you. But I I don't want to fail. I want to lead them to you. Help me. God, I don't have the peace that I should. But I want to. Help me. It's the same kind of prayer. The same kind of crying out that this man does. Verse 24 says, Immediately the father of the child cried out. My question to you today is, will you do that? Will you cry out to the Lord immediately? After Jesus said what he said in verse 23, the father cries out immediately. Will you cry out immediately to God this morning? Immediately, before Satan or your own worldliness have a chance to creep in and stop you. Oh, how many of us do not receive the help of God because in the moment that we know we should cry out, we don't do it immediately. And soon our worldly wisdom creeps up. The cares of this world creep in. What will others think of me? Satan comes in and snatches the seed away because we didn't cry out to God immediately. Friends, there is a moment in our lives when we recognize, if I don't do this right now, I may never do it. You ever had that happen? With all kinds of different things. There are moments where we recognize, if I don't do this right now, I may never do it. Is this moment that for you right now? Because I believe God is telling some of you, just jump in the pool. 
Forget about how cold you think the water is going to be. Just jump in. Rip the band-aid off. Quit thinking about it. Quit second-guessing yourself and do it. Because there comes a point in our lives where if, if I don't do this immediately and I wait, Satan and the cares of this world and all kinds of other things are going to come in and stop me from actually doing it. I want to end with this. This boy was delivered in a way that is, I believe, a picture of what happens to us when we come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we are like this boy who was delivered from his demonic oppression. Why do people come to Jesus? Why do they come to Jesus? Let's think about it. Why, why have any of us come to Jesus? You come to Jesus to be delivered and to be born again. To be delivered and to be born again. What happened to this boy when he was brought to Jesus? Well, Jesus cast out the demon. He delivered him from Satan's clutches. And then, what did it look like to everyone else? Look at verse 26. Verse 26. It seemed as though he was dead. Everybody's saying, he's dead. They're saying, Jesus, you just killed him. You just killed this little boy. You remember a couple, of year, a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus, in the book of Mark, was saying, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. When you come to Jesus, you come to die. If you come to Jesus, Jesus is going to kill a part of you. That's what's going to happen. He's going to kill a part of you. Paul says in Romans 6 that we die with him. And in Galatians 2, Paul says we are crucified with Christ. But then what happens to the boy? Everyone's saying he's dead, but verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he, he arose. That word there in the Greek is the same New Testament word for resurrection, for even the resurrection of Jesus. He arose. That's a resurrection word right there. When we come to Jesus, he kills our old self. He gives us a new heart. And we are born again. And we rise out of a watery grave to newness of life. That's what happens when you come to Jesus. And so the question to every single person today is, have you done that? And if you have not, will you cry out immediately before something else gets at you and convinces you you shouldn't? Right now, we're going to spend a few moments in silent prayer. And we ask during this time that every single one of us goes to the Lord. We ask that you go to the Lord and, and pour your heart out to him. The Lord has just spoke to us. He's just spoke to you. He's just laid some things on your heart. Perhaps they are very different than what he has laid on my heart or the person next to you's heart. And so we give this time of individual silent prayer so that we can all respond from our hearts to the Lord. So we ask you to use this time for that, to cry out to God, to speak to him in prayer. And then after we give a few moments for this personal response time in prayer, we'll come back together. We'll have an invitation where any who need to respond to God's word publicly can do so. Let's pray.